Can you hear me? Okay. Hello. Am I coming you can hear me. It's because you're sitting there. Does it sound too good? Can you hear me at the back? Yeah, starting to hear me. Back row, okay. Yeah, coming through. Great. Let's pray. I pray for life change today, Lord. I pray for your power to be just released on us through your word. Thank you that it's living and active. Thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I pray, Lord, let your word strike into our lives and bring life to the full. We want to bear fruit. We want to be fruitful. Thank you, you want us to bear fruit. So I pray, come and, Lord, just win us again. Win our hearts again, Lord. Keep us from hardness and coldness and apathy. I pray, God, draw us. Draw us to your love. Draw us, Lord, to the the flame, Lord, of your divine love for us. I pray, God, keep us, Lord, from um, distractions, Lord God. Keep us, I pray, from ruts and just going through routines. Lord, I pray for your life, your life more and more to be pouring into our lives and making them making them look like the way you've always wanted them to look, to look like your life. I pray more and more by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we're going to do a two-week mini-series on abiding in the vine, bearing fruit, and what that looks like, how we go about that. So I want to take you back to the night before Jesus was arrested. Um, You're on your way to a garden called Gethsemane, um, which is just east of Jerusalem. It's a garden that's lined with ancient olive trees and it's just at the, at the foot of a, uh, a hill that the locals call the Mount of Olives. And um, as you're on your way there, more, more likely than not, you pass a, you pass a vineyard. And um, as that happens, Jesus takes the opportunity on, your, on, on the way up to Gethsemane where he has that moment of loneliness, that moment of agony, where he sweats blood because he's so full of fear about the cross. As you're on your way there, you pass the vineyard, and Jesus starts some teaching. And here's what he says. John 15, very famous, verses 1 to 8. I'm the true vine, and my father's the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it might bear more fruit. Now already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now we can read that and think that's nice, that's poetic, it's vivid, it's interesting. But to the Jewish mind it was a whole lot more than that. If you read your Old Testament you find out that Israel was supposed to be God's vineyard, God's vine. That was always the plan. God, listen listen to this story from Isaiah 5. It's God speaking. Let me sing for my beloved my love song 
concerning his vineyard. So the prophet's singing on behalf of God. My love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones, speaking of care and diligence. This is what God did. Planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. They're bad. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I haven't done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge and it will be devoured. I'll break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I'll make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, which would be fruit. But behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, fruit. But behold, an outcry. And so what we see here is Jesus saying, I'm the new Israel. They were supposed to be, they were God's vineyard, they were God's vine. They were supposed to bear fruit for God, but they didn't. Everything God put into them, the miracles he worked, bringing them out of Egypt, opening the Red Sea, giving them manna from heaven, performing miracles, making them promises, giving them the promised land, giving them beautiful, fertile land, and all they did was turn away from him. All they did was be adulterous. They were constantly accused of spiritual adultery because they would turn to other gods. God says, God even speaks very, kind of uses very strong language to say, you're like, you're like wild donkeys on heat looking around for other gods that you can go and commit adultery with. Your heart is faithless. You, you're constantly trying to bring the Lord and Baal worship together or the Lord and Ashtoreth or the Lord and Molech, these other gods, and saying, well, we can make it happen. We can bring it together. And God's saying, it's like three in a bed. It's, a, it's adulterous. It's disgusting what you're doing. And so, and so really, Jesus at this point says, I want you to know this. I am the new Israel. I am God's new vine. And it's going to be very different in me. That won't happen. There will be much fruit that comes. Every one of the promises God makes to Israel, Jesus says, are going to be fulfilled in me. We see that in the 12 apostles representing the 12 tribes of Israel. The reason why Jesus chose 12, not was just because it was a good pragmatic number that worked well, he was saying this is the new Israel, it's God's new community. And these guys represent the heads of the tribes of Israel. It's just, it's, that's what's going on there. Also, if you remember Jacob, his name was Israel, wasn't it? Who was the father of the twelve. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm, I'm fathering you twelve. I am the new Israel. And then Jesus goes on to speak about, I'm just giving you some background here, speaks about the unfruitful branches. What does he mean? Was he talking about areas of his own life that weren't very fruitful, that God would come and clip away? No. He was completely fruitful. It seems to me he's talking about Judas. Judas has just left a minute ago. And now he's got his 11, he knows that they are the faithful, he knows that they are the real deal, they're not pretending, they're not deceivers like Judas. And so he's saying, every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. Judas has just gone, just recently fled out into the night to go and exchange the money and betray Jesus. So this is talking about Judas, it seems, is the most obvious way of interpreting that. And the fruitful branches are the 11. And um, their experience in the last half an hour has been pruning. Now, when Jesus says you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you, the word clean is the same as the word pruned. It's the same word, okay? So you're pruned. So through our conversation, since Judas has gone, you've been pruned back. You think, in what way? Well, Jesus said to Peter, you're going to deny me three times. 
But Peter was the eminent apostle. He was a leader of the 11 or the 12. He was the man. You know, the big promises over his life, big prophetic promises over his life. Jesus says, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. <coughs> Clipped him right back. I think, oh man. What about the other 11? What about the rest of them all together? Well, Jesus has said, you know what? I'm, 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 I'm off. He said, what? I'm going. Well, we'll come with you. No, you can't come. You can't, where I'm going, you can't come. And they're thinking, what's he talking about? Bear in mind, they've left everything to follow Jesus. Now he's saying, I'm going. So like, what are you talking about? And I don't get it. Saying, where I'm going, you can't come, but I'm going to go and I'll prepare a place, I'm going to come back for you. They're thinking, what, Samaria? Where is it? Cyprus? That's, that's how, they're not thinking, oh, spiritual. They're thinking, where are you going? Why can't we come? They're feeling seriously insecure. They're feeling troubled. They're feeling anxious at this point. They're thinking, no, no, no. What's happened is they're being clipped right back. They're being pruned back. All their hopes, it feels like this is horrible. Anxious and insecure. Give you a feel for the, for the setting. It's, it's a tense conversation. It's not casual. See, we look at it knowing how it ends. So we kind of read it through these kind of safe spectacles, yeah? Well, we know it's okay. Jesus dies, but he rises again. Then he appears to Peter. Now, they didn't know any of that. All they know is he's off. You, they've thrown all of their eggs into this one basket. They've left their trade. Some of them left family. Some of them just would have been seriously controversial. You know, James and John left Zebedee, their dad, in the fishing boat with his helpers. That would have been their trade. That, was, that, that trade was, was reserved for them. Zebedee would have passed it on to them. They said, no, we're following Jesus. You think, man, they've burnt their bridges. And now he's off. What's going on here? Jesus is saying, you're being clipped back. The father's pruning back the vine as we speak. But then Jesus said, the father clips back so that you might bear more fruit. Now, let's go forward. Peter, he denies Jesus three times, clip back. But then what? Pentecost. Ah! Preaches and 3,000 are saved. Yeah? Raises the dead. Heals the sick. His shadow, even his shadow heals the sick. More fruit. Wonderful. The 11. Turn the world upside down. Clip back, but then more fruit. So that's the image, that's the direct context of where we are here. Question, what is the Lord wanting to say to us today through this teaching. Where is this going? Well, here's where it's going over the next two weeks. Number one, I want to convince you by the scripture that it is absolutely God's will that you, if you're a Christian, bear fruit. And God is far more glorified by you bearing fruit than by you being barren. You can get into a kind of a weird, you see it sometimes, you talk to Christians, this weird mentality of, well, nothing much is happening, not much fruit is coming, but you know, the Lord is glorified by it in some way or another. We kind of can feel more comfortable with Failure than with success can be a particularly British or mindset. You know, we just feel more comfortable with it. Let's not go overboard. You know, it's okay. I want to convince you through the scripture that it glorifies God when we bear fruit. It doesn't glorify Him if we're barren. Secondly, the process of bearing fruit includes two main things seasons of being cut back virtually to nothing. Last night I went on YouTube to get instruction in how to clip back vineyards. It was great fun. I was watching one day and he said, look at this, he's had 21,000 people view it. I said, that's amazing, isn't it? But I said, what does it look like when someone clips back a vine? That's what I wanted to know. So we had this great, I know, Australian, American, some of these big clippers things. And so you've got this vine running along the, the, the thing here and these branches. Now, they're, they're branches that have obviously borne fruit, the grapes have been picked and now it's preparing for the next season. And so say the branch has got like about this long, something like this. Well, really the, the luckiest branch was left with that. 
The other branches were left, you think, with well, the things are gone. <laughs> it's just gone. Hey, where is it? What are you doing? You're going to kill the... That's how you do it. That's how you clip back the vine. They would have understood this as Jesus is talking. We don't because we're urban, those of us that aren't guests. Or some of you brought up on farms and stuff, so you might. But, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, vines being, vines being clipped, I mean, it could be anything, you know. So I better watch it. That's what it looks like. That's how it is. So the process of fruitfulness will include seasons of you being cut back virtually to nothing. Second thing it will include is this, ever-increasing fruitfulness. Cut back so you produce more. Ever-increasing fruitfulness. Both of those things are God's will for true believers. And he'll do, he will do, the Father will come and do that for you. And finally, the only way we can bear fruit is by being intimately connected to the true vine, Jesus Christ. So today we're going to look at what it means to bear fruit, what is fruit, and um, what it's like to be pruned and how can you survive it. <laughs> and next week we'll look at how to abide. What does it mean to abide? So that's where we're going. You up for that? Yeah. All right, okay, what is fruit? Well, the clue is in the whole picture. Really, it's about the, it's about the, the branch, the life, the sap in the, in the vine coming through the branch and coming out. So it's about really, if Christ is the vine, it's about looking like Jesus. That's what bearing fruit is. If you wanted to really bring it back to the most concentrated form, it's about looking more and more like Jesus. Now, let me read to you from Galatians 4, verse 19, where Paul is heartbroken that the Galatians have really turned away from Jesus by going legalistic. All right? They've tried to bring in circumcision and the works of the law along with faith in Jesus and think this would be a more fuller salvation. Paul says, no, and he says this to them. My little children with whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. They know Jesus, but Christ needs to be formed in them. The whole idea in being a Christian is that the seed of God, the word used in the Greek is a sperm of God, comes in you at the point where, of being born again. Okay? But just like naturally when the seed and the egg meet and there's that conception moment, that's by no means the end. That's just the beginning. The idea is, is that, that, that that little embryo then develops, develops and forms and forms into, you, into the, to the point where you get mature human beings. Now, the idea of us being born again is not simply, great, I've been born again, but it's you're a baby then, it's then God's plan to create Christ's likeness in you in a mature way, that you actually begin to reflect Christ's character and Christ's uh, effectiveness more and more. That is actually God's will. That's where we're going with this whole picture. That's God's will. Listen to 2 Corinthians. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. One degree of glory after another. Okay? So it doesn't happen overnight. It's not bang, it's done. One degree of glory after another. We, we should be looking more and more like Jesus. That's God's intention. That's God's plan. Listen to Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased trees bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You will recognise them by their fruit. So you think, ah, apple on there must be apple tree. Looks like Jesus must be a Christian. It's as simple as that, but it's very challenging, isn't it? <laughs> or is it just me that finds it challenging? When, when I'm walking down the street, or when I interact with people, what aroma do they get? What aroma do people get from me? 
and I'm not talking about my aftershave or deodorant I use. What, what, do I, what are they left with? You know when you walk past um, women very often in the street and, and, and you walk past and there's this kind of wall of perfume, you know those sort of moments. You're left with something of, a f- you're left physically with a fragrance through just being, not even in contact with someone, but near to someone. Well the question on a spiritual level is, what fragrance are people left with through their contact with us? I mean, I'm not talking here about opportunities to share the gospel, although obviously that comes into it, but it's much more holistic than that. It's about our manner, it's about our way. I mean, I, I dread the, sometimes I think, why do I preach these things? Because you, you, you spend the week afterwards just saying, God, deal with me. You know, because the reality of, and it's not a condemning, discouraging thing, but it's sobering. You think, God, I want to, you know, you see the lost everywhere, and those who don't know the Lord, and you think, God, and my heart breaks, and I think, God, I want to give off the fragrance of Christ. That's God's heart. There are four particular things in this conversation which Jesus points to. Number one, humility. He, at the start here, he's washed their feet. Now, this whole thing of washing their feet, what was the deal there? It's what the slaves did. It was the slave's job. When you came in, the slave would wash your feet, dusty roads, dusty day, that's, that's how it worked. And so he's saying, look, now remember, these guys, are gonna, they're going to be the leaders of this new movement. Okay? They're already arguing about who's going to be the greatest. They're already having conversations, getting their mum to go and say, you ask Jesus if we can sit on his right hand on his left. It's embarrassing, right? But you, you can all probably relate to it a little bit, you know. <laughs> and the other disciples are getting the hump with them ones for asking Jesus because really they want, you know, it's just pride everywhere. And so Jesus just does very vivid illustration of what he's talking about. He washes their feet and he says, you do the same. You're leaders, but I don't want you to lead like the world leads. Do the same. Serve. Serve. Be, be the, you want to be great? Be the least. Nothing wrong with wanting to be great. But you get there by being the least. You go low. You go down. That's fruit. So being humble, it's not always having the last word. It's being willing to lose an argument in order to win a person. It's not always having to defend your corner. Conceit is probably one of the biggest issues in terms of relational breakdown. People will refuse to accept their wrong, refuse to say sorry. When was the last time you apologised? It should be your lifestyle. Because you make mistakes a lot. <laughs> or unless you're not like me. I'm aware, I feel it. Holy Spirit convicts me. You think, ah, said that too harsh. Need to, need, to, need to go and get that right. Do it. Do it. Keep a short account. It's humility, it's truth. It's what God wants us to look like. The second thing, love. Jesus said, you know, the way you love one another... The whole world's going to turn, it's going to turn their head. They're going to say, wow, you're the real thing. You're the followers. Of, you really are followers of Jesus. There won't be jokes and cartoons about vicars in the paper anymore. If people say, no, there's a group over there. They really like, man, they, they, they lay down their lives for one another. This is, this is different. That's what he's talking about. Very challenging. It involves speaking the truth to one another in love. Sometimes you've got to tackle hard issues because you, you thought, no, I'm, I care about you. I'm concerned the direction you're going. I've got to say something here. You think, I'll say it in love, but I'm saying it because I love you. It involves giving. One theologian says, love is the, the giving impulse. It's, it's that I'm going to give. I'm going to give again. You know? If you've given, I've given, and nothing's come back, I'm going to give again. We love each other. That's how we do it. I mean, just commend you guys this morning. The way we got this room set up, there was a lot of giving going on, a lot of cheerful giving as well. Well done. It's excellent. And just, I think the general atmosphere of this church is just so joyful and so giving. And so it's not a correction. I just, uh, I'm just saying, come on, this is, we're doing great. But I just feel now there's, there's always more to just come into it. We want to we we learn to love like Jesus loved. 
The third thing is this, answered prayer. Now here's the thing, you see. Because I think sometimes we can, we can be comfortable with the character thing. We're not comfortable. I mean, we still feel it, but we think, no, that's, that's fruit. But listen, the context of this whole discussion is fruitfulness. And the third thing is answered prayer. Jesus says some shocking things about our prayer lives, what they should be like. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, whatever you ask, I'm going to give it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you. Now, these, these verses have been abused. They've been misrepresented. But we mustn't react to that by dulling down what Jesus says. Answered prayer should be the fruit in a believer's life. I want to just, I want to just say something corporately. I feel as a church, corporately, we are hitting a wall in terms of some of the prayers that we need answered. In his grace, in the early days, God has given us answers like that. And now I think we've grown up a bit and there's a fight on for some of the things we're going for. I feel we're hitting a wall regarding salvation. I believe, genuinely believe it is God's will that we should be a salvation machine as a church, that people just get saved through us and being around us. I'm convinced of it. I'm not going to back off from it. I'm not going to dull it down or dilute it. I believe it's God's will. But we've got to press in. We've got to press in. Sunday nights we come to fight. We come to fight and we'll bang and we'll bang and we'll bang. And I want to tell you now, the door will fall down because that's what's promised. You might say, well, it hasn't happened before. That's not the point. We don't get our theology and bring it down to our experience. We take our experience and ourselves and we drag it up to what we believe, yeah? And we say, that's where we're going. That's what God has said. He doesn't lie. We're going for it. Bang, bang, bang. We keep going. You might say, well, we prayed for this for the last few weeks. Yep, and we're going to keep going until we get it. That's what we do. Because the promise is, we're asking for something good, it's according to the will of God, yeah? we just got to persevere. Answer prayer, it's God's will for us. Don't ask for stupid things. You won't get them. <laughs> if you're asking for stupid things, you're not abiding. You're just doing your own thing and asking God to bless it. Don't even bother. Waste of time. Okay? So you get into, what's God's, what's God's prayer? What should I be praying for? Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We go at it, we go at it, we get it. Hallelujah. So answer prayer. And final thing is this fruit, doing greater works than Jesus did. That's the fruit he wants us to bear. Now, what does that actually mean? Some people say, well, it means, it doesn't mean we'll actually do greater things than him. It means because there's more of us, we'll do more. The Greek one that you get away with that, the word there's used for, quanti- for quality rather than quantity. Now, obviously, we are not at this point talking about going to the cross and dying for the sins of the world. That is a unique thing that only Jesus could have done and did do. Okay, But he's talking about signs, wonders and miracles. I believe it's God's will that the church manifests signs, wonders and miracles to a greater extent than Jesus did. You might say, but we're struggling to see a headache healed. I know. So what do we do then? Pretend pretend that's not God's will? Easier. Isn't it? We can dull the whole thing down then. It's not what the word says. Greater works than Jesus' will. That's what he says. We've got to have a Christ-shaped theology. If we're following him, what does he say? This is what he says. This is fruit. So we're supposed to look like him. Now, we won't all do everything that he did, right? He's the head, we are bits of the body. I'm a fingernail, you know, you're a toe. Okay, so we have our contribution to bring, all right? We have our particular contribution, we fit into the body, so don't hear what I'm not saying, don't want to go crazy on that, okay? But generally, as the body is then working, the, 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 the fruits of Christ should be coming through. We'll look at how, because you think, ah, the, what, I want to get into this, what's the key to this? It's abiding, what's abiding? Next week, okay. <laughs> 
Okay, so, um, okay, so we give of Christ's aroma, which would be unpredictable, okay, because we're Holy Spirit-led. Jesus, don't ever, whenever people say things like, things like Jesus was always, just think about it before you believe it. Because sometimes people say, well, Jesus was always mild and meek, and you think, no, he wasn't. He was then. He wasn't then. Or, you know, Jesus was always, I don't know why, people caricature Jesus crazy ways, and then they use scriptures to back it up. But there's other scriptures that would just say the opposite about him. You think, well, come on. You know, when Jesus, when Jesus healed the sick, you know, when Jesus cast out demons, you always ask for the name of the demon. No, he didn't. He did once or twice. So it's not wrong. But it's not formulas. You mustn't end up with a formulated Jesus. He was led by the Holy Spirit, which made him very unpredictable. He did what he saw the Father doing. That's what we should look like. Yet his character was consistent in godliness. So we should be having a consistent godly character. And yet there should be that bit about us. But what are they going to do next? <laughs> how are they going to handle this one? Because it's not formulas. It's not religious rituals. It's hearing God and responding. So, in order for us to continue in this lifestyle of ever-increasing Christ-likeness, the Father will come every now and then and prune us back from time to time. I'm going to finish on this. What does that look like? How do we deal with it? Number one, it's drastic. The pruning that comes is drastic. Um, It's disorientating when you get pruned. It's scary. Because you think, it's like someone's pulled the rug out sometimes. Not that God's done that, but that we tend to assume certain things. <laughs> God's going to do this now. Always be careful of that one. <laughs> or this is going to happen now. And then, and then a pruning time comes and it doesn't happen and you can find yourself thinking, oh, which way's up? But there's a drastic nature to it. Because that's how, that is how you prune back. Because you want the growth to come. It's seasonal. This is very important. It's time to time. If your whole life, you think, God's pruning me, God's pruning No, it's probably not what's going on. Probably need to just work out what's going on there. It's not just, if you're just always Mr. or Mrs. Pruned back, something's not right. <laughs> Something isn't right there. Do you know what I mean? It's, no, look, it's fruitfulness. Ah, oh, oh, yeah. You know, this, Daniel, oh, yeah, hallelujah. Bearing fruit, bearing fruit. Oh, been clipped back. Right, oh. Deal with it. Ah, oh, the fruit's growing. Yeah, that is a pattern there. I think otherwise, if you, you know, you can get in a thing where you just feel like yeah, the, the Lord's pruning me again. You think, well, this is the tenth time and there's been no grapes in between. We need to look at this. Do you know what I mean? So, so it, it's seasonal. I would say that we feel it. It's something, it's something that you know it's happening. Um, you're spiritually conscious of it. It could be that you, it could be that it sometimes results in things like you feel like, I don't know what to pray anymore. I don't know how to pray. Sometimes it's like that. Any Christians ever experienced that? Or maybe it's just me. I'm being very honest and very vulnerable today. Um, so, <laughs> you know, uh, blow it. But sometimes you feel like, I, my spirit wants to pray, but I don't know what to say. I don't even... And you just... Next thing you know, it's half an hour later and all you've done is bitten your nails or daydreamed about a holiday. And you think, what's going on? You think, I don't I didn't think my prayer life was meant to be like this. You know? or, or your appetite for the Bible. Now, this can be, it can be other reasons for this which aren't good. So you need to be able to discern, and you know, we can help you through that. It's fine, pastorally. But sometimes like, when you print back, you just feel like, you just feel, man, everything's gone. It feels, like, it feels like everything's gone. Yeah? You know you love Jesus because you love Jesus, but all the other stuff that you were just so excited about, you feel like, it's just, 
Where's it gone? <coughs> That's where it's gone. So that new growth might come. It's necessary. Here's the, it's necessary. If, 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 if the father didn't come and prune you back, that'd be the end of the fruitfulness. Oh, come on, you don't want that. You want to bear fruit, eh? So it's necessary. It's what the father does. It's the wisdom of the father. He knows what he's doing. Now you might say, but it's so painful. But it's often painful really due to our spiritual pride. And here's what I mean. We started to feel like probably we were doing pretty good. And you know, we were, you know, yeah, I'm getting quite mature now. The Lord's using me, yeah. And I pray things happen. And that you can get into that zone. <laughs> I'll come in and bring a, I'll bring a torpedo prayer into this situation. Let's just sort it out, you know. And you start to get into that thing where you feel like you know how to do things. It's dangerous ground, isn't it, really? <laughs> but, and then it's clicked away. And you think, this is terrible. Now, really, what's terrible? Is, and then it's clicked away. And you think, this is terrible. Now, really, what's terrible is you're not as great as you thought you were. And it's not even terrible, but it just feels terrible because your flesh is going, ah, I was finding great security in that. God's like, I know, I want you to find your security in Jesus 24-7. Yeah? Not in your spirituality. Very, very important. I will say this as well. All is not lost, though it may feel like it. There's, a, there's this element to it. There's a bit of spiritual bereavement goes on. You can think, man, it's... But all is not lost. It's a gospel pattern, desperation and deliverance. Cross, resurrection, death, life. There's a pattern. There's a pattern. It's always the same. Don't panic. Hold on tight. God can use external situations to prune you back, or he might just be working on you internally. Either way, God can use either to prune you back. It's so that we don't become wayward. It's so we don't become proud. It's so we don't become ill-disciplined. It's so we don't just think we've got all the answers and we've got it all sewn up. Listen to the psalmist. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. Yeah. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Who's ever come through a season of pruning and the fruit then has been so excited, you've looked back and you've thought, that was great. Do it again, Lord. You've done that. And then he does. <laughs> oh, no. But it's something that the fruit is so exciting and we want to bear so much more of it. We start praying things like, Lord, have your way. Do whatever you want to do in me, Lord. I don't care. I completely surrender everything in order that I might bear more fruit. Great prayers to pray. But God listens. And God answers. And he comes and he says, that's great, because I really want you to bear some more fruit too. But the only way that's going to happen is if we just take this back. And you go, I don't believe it. I prayed that. And everything's, everything's gone belly up. It's all gone. I go and pray for people now, and they're sort of doing that in the middle of it, because they're bored, because there's no anointing on it. Or I go and, and I read my Bible and where things used to jump out. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm doing the thing where I read a paragraph and then if you then ask me five seconds later what it said, I couldn't tell you. You ever done that one? Or whole chapters and you think, I read the words. I actually read the words and I didn't mean it. And you can, and you just feel, <gasps> but don't panic. Don't panic. The father in his wisdom, in his timing, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. You know, I think you, you only have to go through this enough over a number of years to begin to panic less and less. I still panic. <laughs> I still panic when I get pruned back, to be honest. I do. I've got a melancholic streak and it all, it all can go a bit haywire if I don't watch it. You know, I knew, I knew I was Saul. I knew I had, I knew it was the Saul thing. I'm not a David Saul. The kingdom's been ripped from me, you know, and all that sort of thing. And you can just go down that road and start throwing spears at anointed people and all that. And that, 
because I'm panicking. I'm thinking, oh, you know. But, <laughs> but the more you go on, the more you realise, no, no, I've, I actually have remembered feeling this thing before. Yeah? I've felt this before, and I came through it, and there was loads of fruit. And so your history in God helps you and helps to pull you through. I want to just point to a, a few, a few um, Bible heroes who know about this. Abraham waited ages for Isaac, believed God, hallelujah, oh, great. He's born, wow, celebrations, you know, wonderful, I've done it, I've come to the test, yeah, now sacrifice him. You think, I mean, how did he feel? Just horrendous. Joseph, dreams from God. Your brothers and your parents are going to bow down to you, you're going to be a great, a mighty man of God. Oh, here we go. Betrayed, thrown down a well. And then his boss's wife accuses him of adultery. Oh, not again. In prison. Interprets a dream. Guy gets released because of it. Remember me? Guy forgets him. Oh. Yeah? But then finally, when he's been pruned back enough, the character's been built in, bang, raise him up number two in Egypt within a day. God can do it. It's never because God can't do it. It's never because God, God, have you, have you lost your power? No, no, no. It's always God's got a program. He's got a schedule. He knows what he's doing. He's about something very, very good. David kills Goliath. National fame. Starts singing a song, Saul kills his thousands, David his tens of thousands. Saul thinks, hmm. Spends years being persecuted, living in caves, having to act mad because of fear of being persecuted, his own people turning against him when they get raided. Just hard. Elijah defeats 400 prophets of Baal. On, I mean, we're talking mountaintop experience, spiritually and literally on top of Mount Carmel. Amazing fire from heaven, wonderful. Next thing we know, he's running scared from Jezebel and he's suicidal. <coughs> because, it, because, you see, we need it. We would never do it that way because we, we're self-preservers by nature. But God does it because he knows you need it because I want to refine you. And I want to I prepare you for more. And I want to... I wanna, deepen your strength and your character and your roots into him, you see? Because what happens is when you get, it's quite an interesting one, imagine you're a branch. You get clipped off. So imagine you're at the base of the branch and you look at your branch, you're thinking, yeah, we are flying now, look at this branch, it's serious. Suddenly, there's nothing to look at. So what do you do? You look the other way. Look into the vine, you see? And I think the idea is, is it takes our eyes off of ourselves if we're clever, and we look on Jesus and we start to put our roots down deeper. Yeah? And then God's like, hey, you've got it. That's what this was about. It was about getting eyes off you and eyes onto Jesus. I think that's what the Christian life is about, to be honest. I think in a, in a nutshell, training ourselves to just keep looking at Jesus and keep our confidence in him. So really, God's pruning is a demonstration of his commitment to our fruitfulness. All right? It is not, it is not rejection. It's the opposite. It is God attending to you. It's not God leaving you, forsaking you. No, no, no. It's God saying, I want to take care. Right, okay, clip your back because I want some more to come. It's God's acceptance. It's God's ownership. It's God's love. That's what it is. So what I would say is this. Please do not get bitter when it happens. Don't let your heart get embittered. Don't accuse God. Don't start acting out of fear, reacting. It's all gone wrong. And you do, don't do it. Just sit tight. Just sit tight. Trust him. Trust him. He'll bring you through it. What if you're here today and you're not even sure if you're a Christian and you're thinking, man, this Christian game sounds bad news. <laughs> you think, I'm not sure, you know, this sounds painful. 
I'm not sure I want to get involved with this kind of thing. Well, here's what I want to say, is that being a Christian is real and it's authentic. It's not about attending church primarily. It's about 24-7 following Jesus. And there is a cost to it. There's a cost to it. If anyone tells you there's no cost to following Jesus, they're, they're, they're tricking you. They <laughs> yeah, It costs. But everything in life that's worthwhile costs, doesn't it? Everything does. People all over the world endure pain for a goal, don't they? Either for their ambition, for their career, or to achieve some kind of thing. When I used to go boxing, there'd be this whole no pain, no gain thing. What were they saying there? Well, they were saying, look, there's pain, but it's, a gr- it's growing pain. It's not bad pain, it's good pain. You're going you're gonna to grow some muscles, you're going to grow some stamina, you're going to be in good shape after this. There's no pain, there's no, no gain without that. So do another 50 sit-ups. <laughs> That's what it was like. It was, I mean, it was torturous, absolutely horrendous. But you come out a few days later, you're thinking, yeah, I'm feeling good, yeah? What is that? No pain, no gain. There's a, there is pain in it. But it's so that there's, it's, it's for this, how does Paul, Paul says it like this, don't you know, in a race, all the runners compete, only one receives the prize. Run that you might obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to get a perishable wreath. So in those days, you'd get a wreath. That's what was your prize, yeah? But it's perishable. It's, you know, I mean, you know, it looks nice on the day, but it dies. I mean, it, nothing, nothing to it. It's just, you know, we and imperishable. And I want to say this to Christians, and those here that will say they're not Christians. What is the Christian life about? It's about eternity. It's about eternity. And if you miss that, things will start to skew. Your priorities will change. You'll find that you flinch at the thought of a bit of pain or a tough season. You think, no, because you've got into just, just kind of... Well, the Bible says it. If there's no such thing as eternity, eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's the scriptural logic. If there's no eternity, just no, just eat and drink. Just indulge. Just do whatever. Because you die tomorrow anyway. Just make the most of it. That's pure. That's very logical. So people that don't believe, haven't got a conviction of um, you know, just being with the Lord forever and the whole eternal kingdom and, and you know, inheriting the eternal, then the, totally the way to live is just eat and dr- just indulge. No worries. That makes perfect sense. But as a believer, there are certain things you're willing to say, I'm not going to go, no, I'm gonna, no, I'm, not, I'm going to say no to that, because I can see the goal, I'm running for this thing. And it's not like you can't enjoy life, don't get me wrong at all. I think believers should have more joyful lives in this life, more so than those who don't believe, um, not even considering the eternal things. But we do say, no, I'm not doing that. It's like Paula Radcliffe, you know, when she's running for the prize, she's like, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to eat those things, because I want to be in shape for that. And likewise, you say, I'm going for, I've got my goal fixed, I'm going for Jesus. You can trim back what you like. No problem. I know what I'm about. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way you care about us. And thank you, Father, that you're, a, you're the vine dresser. And when you come and clip us back, it really just means that we're in Jesus. It really is just a sign that we're in the vine. And I thank you that it always means more fruit. I want to pray, Father, for my brothers and sisters here that are going through a seasons of pruning. I want to pray that, Lord, that you would just encourage them today. You would keep them from discouragement, which is always from the enemy. You would keep them, Lord God, from believing the lie that you've left them. Left them high and dry. But they would know, Lord, it's just a necessary season that they might bear more fruit. I pray, God, encourage the saints, encourage the saints, encourage your people. Let them know your tender concern looking over them, that you walk 
up and down the vine, checking on all the branches, clipping back this one here so it might bear more fruit. I pray, Lord, even in our own hearts this morning, we would know your care looking over us. I pray that in the name of Jesus. And I pray for any here, Father, that have never got to know you yet, have never, never come to know you personally, I pray, draw them after you today. Oh God, let them see the prize. Let them see the wonder of knowing you and being with you forever. Let them see, Lord, the glory of the kingdom to come. I pray you would open the eyes of their hearts and they'd be drawn after you, Lord, and we'd be willing to throw off everything that hinders in order to, Lord, run the race you've got for them. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.